We'll go ahead and take our text from our scripture reading. We'll read just three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God does not work in conventional ways. The Lord is not concerned with the status quo. Many things in God's word don't make any sense to the world. The Bible says that's because they need to be spiritually discerned. You know, the spiritual laws in God's word are not subject to natural laws or the laws of science. You know that God often superseded both those laws to perform miracles. We know God's spiritual laws are always subject to the word of God. The Lord will never go outside of his word to perform something. It says the spirit and the word will always agree. But we know that the Bible tells us the preaching of the cross to those that perish. It's foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. But many times in Jesus' ministry, as he would go around teaching, he would speak in parables, and sometimes he would make other statements that seemed to confuse mainly the religious leaders and the elites of the day. It says the common people heard him gladly, but oftentimes Jesus would make statements that we would call a paradox or a paradoxical statement. A paradox is a statement that seems contrary to common sense, yet it is true. God's wisdom is anything but common. But sometimes he would say things that would almost seem to be contradictory, yet they were not. But with the Lord's help, we'll look at some of these paradoxes in the Word of God. The first statement we'll look at, we see in Matthew 10, 39. This was Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus was speaking about finding something by losing it, and by losing something, finding it. You know, we have a lost and found here at the church. We do not have a found and lost. That seems to be contrary to the human way of thinking. But what did Jesus mean here when he said, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He was referring to those that were selfish and self-centered, those that were only living for themselves and trying to find satisfaction outside of the Lord. You know, people can spend their whole lives trying to find themselves, and in the end, they end up losing their very lives. We've heard it said, Many have said, well, we've got to go find ourselves. Well, Jesus says you need to lose yourself. This has been a mystery for many years. People have wondered, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? And so they spend their whole lives 
searching to find themselves. The problem is they begin at the wrong starting point. They begin with themselves. You know, the Word of God tells us it's not all about us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 It says, for by him, this is speaking of God here, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God is not just the starting point of our lives. He's the very source of our lives. It also tells us in another portion of Scripture says, for His pleasure we are and were created. Until we get a hold of this simple fundamental truth, life will never have true meaning. Have you ever used a tool or maybe some kind of uh, machine or something for something other than its intended use. It doesn't work very well. You know, a riding lawnmower was never meant to be used as a pool cleaner. And I can testify to personal experience with this. Several years ago, I was about 16 or 17, I was working with a man, and without getting into a lot of detail... I accidentally backed his riding lawnmower up into the deep end of his swimming pool, and I took it to the very bottom. People have asked me, how did you do that? My answer is always the same. I'm not sure. It kind of got away from me. I don't know how that happened. But I realized something. Riding lawnmowers do not work well in swimming pools. We got it out after a lot of pulling and tugging and several people pulling it out by ropes. I don't know if he ever got it running again or not. He was a mechanic, but the mower was ruined and the pool was damaged. I think he even had to resurface the pool. The amazing thing is he called me the next day, wanted me to come back to work for him. But I learned something. That's not what it was designed to do. A riding mower is not intended to work in a swimming pool. It wasn't its intended purpose, so of course it failed. Well, you know, people spend their whole lives trying to find what it is they're supposed to be doing, but if you're looking outside of your Creator, if you're looking outside of the Lord, you're never going to find what that purpose truly is. We didn't create ourselves, so we can't determine what our own purpose truly is. It's only by surrendering our lives to the Lord's will and yielding to His plan that we discover what living truly is, and that's what Jesus was saying here. He asked a question in another portion of Scripture. said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus was letting his disciples know and letting us know that in order to find eternal life, we must lose our lives in Christ. That's when we find eternal life, everlasting life. He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for the sake of the gospel will find it. That leads to the second 
paradox. This principle is taught throughout Scripture. This idea of victory through surrender. You know, that's unheard of in the world today. The worldview is winning is everything. You got to take care of number one. The only way to truly succeed is to be the best. So, of course, surrendering in the world's view is unthinkable. It means to give up or to yield to a stronger opponent, to forfeit or to admit defeat. The world says nothing doing. You know, in the gospel, that is essential for spiritual victory. Jesus said just the opposite in Romans 12, 1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your reasonable service. Tells me that surrender in God's eyes, it's holy, it's acceptable, and it's reasonable. But that's the way of the kingdom. It's contradictory to what the world would tell us. You know Christ's own words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And he's speaking again to his disciples here, those that were following the Lord. He said, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Another portion of verse, it's, it says daily were to do this. So we know surrender is not a one-time occurrence in following the Lord. This is something we need to do every day. That act of personal surrender can be called many things. Dying to self, consecration, being a living sacrifice, being sanctified. You know, it's not so important what we call it. The most important thing is that we do it. This is a requirement that the Lord requires of everyone who wants to be a follower of Christ. The moment we're saved, it has to come at that point of surrender. I remember the day the Lord saved me, I just gave up. I wasn't trying to cut any deals with the Lord. I wasn't trying to make any plea bargains. I just told the Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, Lord, it's yours if you'll just give me that peace and the moment I got honest and truly surrendered, that's when the Lord came in and He saved me. You know, when we're seeking to be sanctified, that's what we're doing. We're setting ourselves apart for the Lord's service. We're consecrating to the Lord. And as we do that, the Lord honors that. And He sees our hearts and He sanctifies us wholly. Same thing when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are seeking power for service, but it's all about the Lord. And it takes surrender. Why does the Lord insist on complete surrender? Well, the Bible tells us, it says that God is a jealous God. He's not going to share His glory with another. You know, someone once said, when self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. When self is on the cross, then Christ is on the throne. That's true. We have to give complete control over to the Lord. The Lord can't use us if we continually get ourselves in the way. It's also been said, and I believe it's true, we have as much of God as we want of God. That's true. 
Look around. People that have a vibrant relationship with the Lord are those that have surrendered and spent time with the Lord, those that have sought the Lord with all their hearts. God's no respecter of persons, but we can have as much of Him as we want. His involvement in our lives depends upon our level of surrender. How much do you want God to be a part of your life? That depends on how much you're willing to give up to the Lord and to surrender to the Lord. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once said the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. You know, surrendered people are the ones the Lord uses. You think about Moses, Abraham, Mary, Joseph, Gideon, the list goes on and on. You read in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the heroes of faith. All of these were people who had surrendered their lives to the Lord's service. How many blessings do we forfeit in our own lives because of our unwillingness to yield or to surrender? You know, commitment is not the same thing as surrender. It's good to be committed. We hope we have committed Christians, but you know, commitment is something you can control. You can determine the level of your commitment. People back out of their commitments all the time. Surrender is something entirely different. Surrender is yielding everything to the Lord, giving everything to the Lord. You can be 99% committed and yet not be surrendered. We see that in the example of the rich young ruler. We've heard a lot about him lately. Brother Ryan mentioned him last Sunday night. He said he came to the Lord running, had a question. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same place all of us will find ourselves at one point in our lives. Jesus gave him a whole list of commandments. And that man could honestly say, I've kept these things from my very youth. He was committed. Committed to being uh, a good follower of these commandments. Yet we know Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. This one thing. Go sell what you have. Give to the poor. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Lose yourself with me and you'll find eternal life. So that man went away sorrowful. He was committed, but he refused to surrender. So we know God requires surrender. Our last paradox, we read James 4, verse 6. It says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know, in the gospel, the way up is down. It's exactly opposite of what the world will tell you. You know, the taller a building, the deeper and the lower that foundation has to go. They say if you're mining the earth for those precious metals and its resources, the deeper and the lower down you go, the greater the treasures. It's the same thing in the gospel. In God's economy, the way up is down. Proverbs 22, 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches in honor and life. So we see it's through humility. It's through humbling ourselves, making ourselves low. It's thinking of others better than ourselves, esteeming others better than ourselves. It's not in how many people that serve us, but how many we're willing to serve. That's how God measures greatness in the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is so difficult for many because it involves surrendering something that all of us have so much of. 
Probably something we hold on to, and that's our pride. And you can put self right along with that. Also says pride is the very thing that God hates the most. So we see there's this war going on, and it's difficult. That's why the world doesn't understand it, because it goes against our human nature, and yet we know these are the keys to the kingdom. You know, Jesus' own disciples struggled with this in the 20th chapter of Matthew as they were going up to Jerusalem and Jesus had just predicted his own death. He said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried and I'm going to be crucified and hung on a cross and three days later I'm going to rise again. Just told him about this dark, horrible time they were about ready to face. And in the very next verse... You see, the mother of James and John gets involved. And she came to Jesus and she said, I have a request. She says, when you come into your kingdom, make sure my boys, James and John, are sitting on the right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. He just said, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer. And they were worried. She was worried about the pecking order, I suppose. It says the other disciples heard this. They had indignation. And Jesus said, you know, that's not even mine to grant. But then he says something else. He says, if any man would be great in the kingdom of heaven, let him be the servant of all. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You see the kingdom of heaven isn't like this earth's kingdoms. The principles and precepts in God's word are contrary to the ways of the world, but we know that it leads to eternal life. Jesus really summed it all up. He encapsulated all of this in Matthew 6, 33. This is a promise and an invitation. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all of these things shall be added unto you. The problem is people spend their whole lives seeking for everything but the kingdom of heaven. They look in the wrong places, but the Lord says, if you'll seek me first, what a beautiful promise. All these other things that people are so concerned about, that are so fearful about, people that are so anxious and striving to have these things. Jesus said, these things will be added to you if you seek me first. That's an invitation. You know, if you're here this morning and you're in an unsaved condition, if you've never experienced the Lord's forgiveness in your life, you're lost. The Word of God tells us that you're lost, but you don't have to stay in that condition. If you're willing to lose yourself in Christ, you'll find eternal life today. If you're seeking to be sanctified, ask the Lord, say, Lord, help me to die to myself consecrate those things to the Lord. God will give you the grace to do it. and He'll help you. He'll sanctify you. The Lord will fill you with His Holy Spirit. The Lord will give you peace down in your heart. And you know you'll be ready for heaven. That's the greatest reward of all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The Lord will meet you here today if you're willing to do that. Humble yourself. Call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are promises in God's Word. If we're willing to do it God's way, God will bless us as he promised to do. We're going to sing song 166. 
These altars are open for prayer. Let's come and seek the Lord today.